Between aging and busy lifestyles, many women struggle with maintaining their physical and mental wellness. At Aquavita Concierge Healthcare Services for Women, we can help you revitalize your health and reclaim your life. We start from within by balancing your hormones, allowing your body to achieve and maintain desired weight goals. We also specialize in peptide therapies, regenerative medicine, sexual health, and aesthetics in our state-of-the-art facilities. Feel better, look better, live better at Aquavita. Visit aquavitality.com and begin your journey today. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. Sticks, episode 17. I'm your host, Neil Orfield. You can find me on Twitter at PlayerQDFS. High Stakes is produced by Mike Lawrence. You can find him on Twitter at AwesomeYo. And my guest today is Professor David Bergman. You can find him on Twitter at WhistlesWoo. Uh, his DraftKings and FanDuel username is TheWhistlesGoWoo. You probably know David by now. He uh, won the 2020 Fantasy Football World Championship on DraftKings for 2.5 million dollars uh followed it up in 2021 he was the roto grinders tournament player of the year he has won three millimakers he has more than 50 six-figure wins across pga nfl mlb and nba and he's really only been a high volume player for a year and a half at that point at this point so that is pretty crazy to me uh david i couldn't help but notice that you uh, are wearing the same shirt as me yeah whistles go woo yeah. Uh, thank you so much for representing, and also thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited to talk about uh, talk about all things DFS. Of course, yeah. I mean, free shirt, and, and it's a beautiful shirt. I, I love the shirt, so of course I'm going to wear it while you're on the show, uh, David. I want to I want to set people up with our background a little bit, uh, our, our friendship. So so we met at the uh, 2021 uh, Tournament of Champions after you had just won the 2020 uh, Fantasy Football World Championship, as I, as I said, uh, where you won $2.5 million and you did an interview with Jesse Caulfield at DraftKings, uh, seemingly maybe a little bit alcohol aided in that interview. Uh, it, it was a, it was a fun interview that I enjoyed it. Um, but so then a month, two months later at the Tournament of Champions, you were kind of a minor celebrity. I showed up and the first night I got there, I could hear people other other players doing the woo thing like it, it was going around people are just like doing it together in unison i was like what is going on uh but anyway you, you were a minor celebrity so you met a lot of players uh and i you and i talked some but we didn't uh get as much of a chance to talk as i would have liked and i came away from that and, and i've said this before on this show that i kind of live my life with the philosophy that if i'm the smartest person in the room i'm in the wrong room so i like to i like to surround myself with intelligent people i i find intelligent people interesting i feel like i can learn from them so after i didn't get to talk with you as much as i would have liked i followed up by emailing you uh, I found your email address, your, your uh, Yukon email address, and emailed you uh, after the Tournament of Champions in February and said, hey, this is Neil. We met at the Tournament of Champions. It was great to meet you. Uh, whatever. We, we, and then uh, you, you sent me your phone number. We started texting a little bit. Yep. Um, and and we, we texted throughout the year. But so I tweeted on August 31st. So now we had been texting a little bit for about six months. I tweeted, I know he's polarizing, but me and the whistles go woo jumped off a bus in a traffic jam to find toilets once. He told me he didn't care who won the Tournament of Champions as long as we all had fun. We text sometimes, and I'm 95% sure he has no idea who I am, and I'll, I'll always root for him. So I got to ask, did you know who I was when I emailed you in February after the Tournament of Champions? Did you have any idea who I was? So I had a I mean, I definitely remember jumping off the bus. Who exactly I had jumped off the bus with maybe was a bit murky, okay? Yeah. It, was a it was a heck of a weekend, right? Uh, but definitely remembered you once I saw your, you know, your, your, your handle and stuff online. 
Um, and then, yeah, it was great. I mean, we, yeah, we chat all the time. It's, it's nice just to have a couple of, you, you were one of the first people that I actively communicated with in the DFS community. Now I talk to all, you know, I text Osmo sometimes, text big right. or whatever. Um, but yeah, I definitely, the 5%, I guess, I guess you'll say I, I knew who you were. So I think you were probably <laughs> wrong on that one. All right. At least by August, you, you knew who I was for sure. You, you know, we had been texting enough. They were like, the, the name had clicked. I had sent you my username. And, uh, and then shortly after I sent the text, you, you sent me, uh, a text congratulating me on something that I want. So I was like, okay, so he definitely does know who I, who I am. That's, right. that's good to know. <laughs> All right. right. I figured I had to ask that question uh, just because I thought it would have been funny if, if we had gone texting for six months and you were just like, I have no idea who this random <laughs> dude is, but I'll that text with him great. anyways. Unfortunately, I didn't have my Twitter uh, handle at that time. So I guess not that many people would have seen it that would have seen it these days, but it was a good tweet uh, and I appreciated it. Yeah, I uh, yeah, and and you are also one of the few people. So I I have communicated with a lot of people, but only because I'm on Twitter. Like if I had not been on Twitter, I probably wouldn't. So you're one of the few people that I reached out to off of Twitter because I was like, this is an interesting guy. I want to get to know him a little bit. Uh, so that is where our friendship started. Now we have been friends, I guess, for about a year and a half. Just uh, just a little bit shorter uh, than your kind of reign uh, at or near the top of the DFS landscape. Uh, we we've been communicating. Um, I usually like to start this show by talking about background just a little bit. Uh, I think uh, your background is a pretty unique one uh, in that you are a professor. You do this kind of stuff. Uh, you're a professor in optimization. But I'll just I'll just ask you the same questions I ask everybody else to start, which is, sure. what kind of background do you have in statistics? Are you formally or informally trained? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would have to go with the formal training on that one. Uh, I. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I got degrees in college in math, applied math and statistics, got a master's and a PhD, all in kind of math, applied math, statistics, and, and the like. So, yeah, definitely a lot of formal training. I think I've taken like 30 to 35 graduate math and statistics courses in my life, and now I've probably taught 30 to 40 uh, graduate master's courses. So, yeah, definitely well-attuned with statistics and optimization and the like. So I probably didn't even need to ask that question, uh, yeah, given, given your background, but, but as long as I'm asking it for everybody, I'll keep going. What about uh, computer program? What kind of training, formal or informal, do you have in computer programming? Yeah, so when I started my PhD at Carnegie Mellon, I actually had zero computer programming uh, experience. None. Never wrote a line of code. Uh, at that point, I met this uh, really lifelong friend of mine, Andre Cire. He's a professor at the University of Toronto. I'll be uh, officiating his wedding next year, as a matter of fact. And um, he was more from a computer science background. I was more from a math background, okay? But we were both PhD students at the same time. We started working together. We have dozens of research papers together. I, you know, I think we both, you know, feel like each other's uh, among our best friends. Uh, so my computer programming training really went through him right uh i remember we'd have late nights just whatever just messing around with code trying to get research done or whatever and uh, i learned through him now of course once you learn how to do it you learn things on your own then right but that was that was really the beginning of my uh my uh, my work in computer programming and exposure there all right makes sense uh and then what about dfs when approximately when did you get start getting involved with dfs and what kind of drew you into dfs yeah so i had done some survivor pool stuff in the nfl um, I, I, you know, built a, you know, an optimization algorithm for that cashed on a decent, you know, just like personal pool or whatever with a bunch of guys. Um, so then it got me thinking about just like, what else could I apply statistics, math optimization to in the context of sports betting. Right. And I remember I was losing my buddy, uh, in Alabama, we were sitting at his kitchen table and we were like, you know what, well, David, maybe you should take a look at this DFS stuff. I think it fits you very, very well. Then I'd played season-long fantasy, and I'd heard of daily fantasy, but I hadn't actually played it. And then, yeah, I mean, I think I started dabbling, I would say, about a year before my big win. I maybe say a year and a half, right? Uh, and, yeah, I mean, with some success, with some failures, I was still just learning how to do it. I was actually quite shocked, right? I remember seeing, for example, Osimo fully buying in to all these competitions. I was like, how in the world could someone have the bankroll where they could fully buy into basically every competition every day? And now a couple of years later, here I am, I understand exactly how, how, how it happens and progresses. But yeah, so, so, so then, yeah, I mean, I was, I was in awe of like awesome. And then Yoda too. He was, I remember I had, at some point, and I know we'll probably get into like backtesting and all this stuff, but at some point I had looked at historical event, a historical contest for the first time. And just to see, because I had recognized some of the names, right? I started to play a little bit more expensive and, you know, you start to see the same people in every competition, right? And I was like, wow, this guy comes in first place all of the time. 
Uh, and I, I mean, I respect him as a player like crazy. Uh, I think he once referred to me as, uh, as his nemesis, but maybe we could talk about that later on. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, something like that, you know, about a year and a half before the fantasy football world championship win, um, had a little bit of a rise, didn't do proper bankroll management, lost a ton of that. Uh, but then slowly it built back up. So that's, uh, that was the, that was the roller coaster ride. I just added a question, uh, just nemesis with a question mark. I, I want to talk, I want to get back to that later because uh, that, that's really funny. Um, but all right, so we'll, we'll continue on this line of questioning. Uh, were you a winning player right away and did you immediately play high volume or did you ramp up over time after you'd seen some success? I guess you kind of answered that you, you obviously weren't at this high of volume right away, but, uh, what what was the progression there like for you? Yeah, so I had started uh, just with NFL Showdown. So I think it was like really just when Showdowns were kicking off, I guess, or I, you know, I don't really know the history. Um, and yeah, I was doing at least multi-entering, no matter what. Certainly not every competition. Definitely did not have the bankroll for that. And I was pretty steady, I would say, uh, on on through football season. I mean, didn't really go up and down, nothing major. In baseball season, uh, yeah, so I started to... So this, again, I think this was like the year before, so maybe two years before the Fantasy Football World Championship, okay? And I had like a decent win in baseball. Uh, not like, I think a 20K hit, okay? And then uh, that grew. So I hit a bunch in a row, and I got it up. I, you know, I was, I was feeling pretty good, but then I got a little cocky, quite frankly. Um, and, yeah, most of that was squandered away. Uh, but then, yeah, then I kind of took some time, really analyzed what I was doing, made more of a formal just like approach that I, you know, expand upon even today. And then I was able to really, you know, dive a little bit deeper into how to do the bankroll management, which competitions are like my safety net, which one of them are the stretch ones and figured it all out and just grew from there. So are there competitions that you don't enter? <laughs> Probably not anymore. I mean, okay, so, so <laughs> right, there, right. there, there are a few that I, that I stay away from, uh, but most of them I would just enter if, 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 you know, I have the time or whatever. Yeah, of course, of course. All right. Well, uh, let's let's get into your process just a little bit. Uh, start here. Do, do you do any simulations uh, or use any simulations from outside sources in your process? Uh, yes and yes. So I, in every single sport I play, I have my own personal simulation model for every single okay. sport, uh, whether it be baseball, basketball, I mean, really every single one of them. My entire process or pipeline relies on accurate or reasonable simulations, I'll call them. Okay. Um, but I also subscribe to nearly every site, uh, not nearly every site, but a lot of the sites. Mm -hmm. And I find the information they reveal particularly useful for particular sports, right? Um, and so, yeah, we can talk about that a little bit later on too, but I also subscribe to a lot of them. Uh, you know, I think that you, for me, it's always helpful to see what the projection sites are putting out there because it allows me to get a little bit of a handle on what the what the field might be thinking and what the field might look like, right? I think that, you know, I know we're going to talk about this later, ownership and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I subscribe to almost all the sites. I use simulations. I use the simulations that others have. It's a, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a big part of, I think what you have to do in DFS. Okay. Makes sense to me. Yeah. I, I use the, the Osmo simulations uh, pretty extensively, just, just in terms of the tools tell you what the simulations tell you, tell me, I don't have actual access to their, the actual simulations that they run, but uh, I use that info. What about an optimizer? Like, so, so I use fantasy cruncher. Do you use a publicly available optimizer or do you have your own optimizer or uh, what, what do you use in terms of optimization? So I've subscribed to fantasy cruncher only to see what it does. I no longer have a subscription there. Um, I, I mean, my PhD is in optimization. Literally what I do professionally yeah. is build optimization algorithms for consulting projects in research papers and everything. So yeah, I mean, everything is absolutely, uh, personally coded, um, all of the sports. I don't use any optimizer, uh, never have really, even in the beginning. So when I first started out, right, I, you know, we were just getting ready, I guess, for football season. And, uh, yeah, so I decided I would just start from there. Right. I mean, it was what I did always right so uh yeah so it's all personally coded um and yeah optimization routine of my own I, i've seen your supercomputer in, in the chasing the goat series you showed off your supercomputer there how long did that take to build i mean that's got to be a lot of work <laughs> it's certainly not my own supercomputer that, okay. that is a that is a warehouse uh, you know but um but yeah i mean i definitely make use of computing all the time so yeah absolutely own all personal right. coded optimization routine okay and you said that you uh, subscribe to many different sites, but uh, do you do your own projections from scratch? 
depends on the sport. Um, I will say that basketball is super challenging to build a projection model, I think, um, in my opinion. I, I think it's probably the, the late news and everything and what the impact is, right? I mean, you just think, if Giannis is playing or not, the projections of everyone on the team, I mean, you're talking about a totally different flow, right? And so I find that if you want to build a projection model for basketball, it's going to have to be something that's super adaptable and very robust. Possible yep. to do, of course. People are doing it. Awesome has, I mean, I know it's Sean, I guess is the person that works on it there. Uh, you know, there's, I, you can do it. I can do it. But that's one sport which I rely on several different sources and depending on the situation. Anyway, lots of different things there. But there are other sports where I build my own projections. Uh, PGA, for example. That's not to say I don't have uh, subscriptions in data golf, which I do. And of course, the Awesome because I do, and to all the other sites, okay. But yeah, I build my own projection. And, you know, I think it allows me to calibrate it too, right? I mean, sometimes it's far off. And I think, you know, you can see the, the sites, sometimes their projections get a bit closer as the day moves on. I think everyone probably knows of this phenomenon. And I think it makes sense, right? There's no, there's nothing wrong with that. I think a calibration to the field makes a lot of sense in a lot of contexts. But yeah, so, so my own personal projections in golf, for example, are recalibrated and thought about how that is related to other sites and other sources out there. And then, you know, other sports, it just depends. Um, uh, so it's really a whole group of, of, of combinations of my own and, and, you know, projections from the main sites. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, what about ownership projections? Do you do your own ownership projections from scratch? I, so the best ownership, I do, uh, the best ownership projections that I've had is I use the projections from the sites. I run it through my optimizer, my optimization routine, and that gets pretty close to what the ownership would be. I mean, it's not perfect. Okay. But like, if I generate whatever, a couple hundred entries using what I would, if I were to out of the box, use Awesome or use Sabersim or whatever. It's not going to be perfect, but it's pretty close to the projections that are published on awesomeo.com. And it's also pretty close to what happens with the field, right? So I think sometimes during Christmas, something magical happens. Hey, Cricket customers. The Max with Ads plan is included with the Cricket $60 unlimited plan at no additional cost. And this holiday season, Max is the one to watch when you're feeling festive. Son of a nutcracker. Cozy up to all the holiday classics like Elf, 8-Bit Christmas, and the Harry Potter 8 film collection. Just log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. Phone plan streams and standard definition programming subject to change. Fees, terms, and restrictions apply. See cricketwireless.com for details. It's, uh, yeah, it's amazing, right? So the, the routine that I have will get very close to what the ownership of the field will be if I just download, uh, you know, the common projections that people use. Uh, that's that's really interesting. So how, how much does that play a role in creating your lineups? Ownership, or is that is that a big part of your strategy in uh, creating lineups? And, and has that evolved over time? Have you Has it become a bigger part of your strategy, a smaller part of your strategy? Uh, tell me about how much you use ownership. A bigger part of the strategy. Um, I think that in the beginning, I thought, well, okay, suppose I am projecting that this is the best lineup, but I know that others will maybe have that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to try to pick a worse lineup. But then that doesn't make any sense because I have a worse, I mean, the project. so I had this kind of circle thing in my head. I was like, it doesn't make any sense to try to use ownership because I'd just be kind of reducing my chances of actually doing well. But of course, that was the wrong thinking, right? Because I think, especially, I mean, this is a high stakes show, right? Okay. Right. So if I'm playing against Osimo and Yoda Cow and all these guys, they're not putting in lineups that don't make sense. Okay, so between the group of high stake players that are playing every single day against each other, it is ultimately a poker game, because I don't think any of us is putting in something that doesn't make sense. Right. But I, I just don't no one is putting in a lineup that doesn't have a potential for a big hit. No one is playing a collection of lineups that somehow makes some logical sense to work together. I think some people are more spread players. Some people like to narrow down the field that they're entering. I I know who does what. That's fine. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, if I don't think about the poker match on a day-to-day -day basis, how am I going to possibly be, I mean, it's just, you can't, I, you, you have to differentiate, especially in a huge GPP, of course, a little bit. And then even when I'm playing, for example, the seven, 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 every night in baseball, right. I have to think about ownership. I have to take a position somewhere, whether I want to or not, I just have to. And if it hits great, if it doesn't, it doesn't, but you know, I'm playing a long run game, not on any particular night. Um, and so, yeah, ownership is always something you have to consider, I think, to really do well. I think, yeah, so, so yes, ownership has progressively become even more of a part of the game that I play.
Okay. Interesting. So, so you brought up that there are players that uh, shrink the field of their player pool, and there are those who spread it out more. Where would you say you fall on that spectrum? Do you, do you like remove players from your player pool ever, like completely just going in? I'm not even going to allow for my optimizer to give me this player. And, and do you ever lock in players? So classically, no, I would play whoever popped out. Um, and I, I think there's some other players, uh, you know, I don't have to reveal what other people do, but there are other players that do that too. I know that, okay? Um, but there's definitely other players that don't. I mean, there's been DFS newsletters that say, look, in this entire MLB slate, this guy used 40 players. That's yep. it, right? And you can also, I mean, I'll, you know, I talked about Sean. I'll talk about Sean. There was one night recently, I think he played only two pitchers in the entire yep. slate, and he came in, you know, whatever. He cashed almost every one of his lineups. Fine. He's obviously, in, in that day, now, people changed it. We'll talk about that maybe at some point. On that day, he obviously shrunk his player pool. I was much more spread than I am these days, although sometimes I'll spread it out too. It, it's, it's a circumstantial thing. Uh, and what I will also say is that for the, for the standard player, people don't necessarily look at exactly what they do night to night. Yep. But, I mean, the DFS newsletter will come out and say, Whistles played the Reds on every single lineup tonight. Okay. So then people are going to say, okay, if I see him playing one team every single night, I know something about whistle strategy. I have to do a bait and switch also, right? And I really, and, and that bait and switch choice depends on the slate. It really does. You know, and, and why and when I do that is, of course, my own personal strategy, right? But yeah, so the long answer to your question is sometimes uh, and sometimes not. And I'll tell you a story. So at the Fantasy Football World Championship this year, I think it was a Fantasy Football World Championship, um, we were, uh, I, I was hanging out with some of the high stakes guys. Okay. And we were talking about like my performance in different sports and they're like, you know, in football, we just have no idea where you're coming from. And, uh, that's part of the strategy I have. I'm trying to be elusive in the high stakes games because otherwise, you know, they're going to know what I'm doing. And I think that gives other people a fair advantage. And as I said, it's a poker game because yep. none of us are doing something that's not logical. So ultimately we have to play against each other. And so, yeah, I try to, you know, I try to do different things from time to time uh, and change it up. Cause I think that I've got multiple different strategies that can potentially be very highly profitable. And what I employ on a certain night or a certain slate, I should say, uh, is, you know, a function of just like what the slate is, who's available, what values out there and so forth and so on. I think I remember there, there was a slate in the NFL season. I think I texted you about this, that you had played one quarterback in every single one of your uh, main contests for, for the NFL slate, some NFL Sunday. And I was asking you, was this a mistake? Did you do this by accident? And you told me, no, that on that day, on that slate, you intentionally on the in the large field GPP played the same quarterback in every single one of your lineups. Uh, and then I think I think you then maybe played different quarterbacks in your higher stake stuff. Is that right? You, you take that approach. Sometimes you kind of, you look at it as, you know, you're, you're playing to the contest size, essentially. You're playing, I'm going to do take this strategy in the large field, and then you kind of take a different strategy in the in the high stake stuff. Yeah, I do that all the time. And also depending on the number of people that I'm playing against in a single entry competition, right? Because I've been playing against two other people. That's very different than playing against 15 people even, right? Yep. Uh, so yeah, and of course with a large GPP, I mean, you know, again, people look at the lineups I pick. They may not look at other people's lineups. So you can hide your strategy more if you're not, you know, a little bit more, in the, you know, that people actually look at you. So I have to, intentionally switch it up from time to time so people don't really get a grasp of what I'm doing. But yes, there are times where I will really focus on a team, focus on a quarterback, focus on a running back, uh, whatever the case may be. Um, but most of the time I don't employ that. Try to, it, it really just depends. Okay. And what about avoiding duplicates? Uh, are there is is avoiding being duplicated by other players, uh, other play, other lineups, a big part of your strategy in any of the contests that you play? Um, yeah, you know, the one issue is NBA showdowns. That's like the class. It's just becoming harder and harder. So you have to start to think about the entire collection of players as opposed to just ownership. I think everyone's starting to do that now. Um, but for the most part, I think it's more, and I think, you know, if you, if you're worried about ownership on the player level, that'll automatically this, you know, make it less likely that you have a completely duplicate roster with someone else. But you know, it, it, at my volume, you have to hit first place frequently enough. So, well, if I'm going to make first place and I tie, that's better than not making first place, right? So uh, there's a little bit of that, but um, 
yeah, it's more just ownership consideration on the player by player basis. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I, that's one of the reasons that I, I hate NBA showdown. Actually, I remember you saying on Lowell's that you, that it was your favorite contest NBA showdown. I'm like, I can't win without duping with 50 other people. So I, I just don't even play it, but are you, are you still enjoying NBA showdown? I, well, less so. I think it's becoming a little bit too challenging to hit a big prize in. Um, yeah, I, I wish that they would offer more like, you know, just 20 entry, but more yeah. high cost stuff. I mean, they do a little bit in the playoffs now. Right. Uh, but that's stuff because then, I mean, you might still duplicate. It happens. NBA showdowns are very hard to get a differentiating factor, but I think that, you know, yeah, I, 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 uh, I still do play them. The, the return has definitely diminished this season. There's no question, uh, but it's still there. So, yeah. Okay. You mentioned that you do some back testing to figure out who, uh, which projections you're going to use or which tools you're going to use for different sports. Are you back testing like individually to see, you know, which sites have the most accurate projections for different sports? Is that a big part of your process, backtesting what, what other people are doing? Yeah, it is. Um, I look at definitely projections and trying to figure out which uh, site has the best. Um, you'd be surprised how similar in performance they are, maybe. Um, uh, but not for all sports and not in all instances, but, you know, um, so I do do that. I backtest that. I backtest different, you know, ways that I can calibrate my algorithm and stuff like this. I, I used to do it more. Uh, yeah, just sheer time-wise, I don't have as much time anymore. Um, but yeah, ideally, you would just backtest every part of your pipeline, every part of the decision-making process. Um, I used to download all my entries from DraftKings routinely, less so these days, uh, but still do sometimes if there's a particular thing I want to investigate. Let me take a minute away from this conversation with David Bergman to tell you about our sponsor, Noos Advantage. Noos Advantage is bringing you a different way to enjoy DFS with player props contests. It's 100% peer-to-peer to help level the playing field with over 500 player props offered. All new users get a $25 deposit bonus with promo code AWESOMO. That's A-W-E-S-E-M-O. Noos Advantage offers mass entry capability with big prize pools. Beat your friends, not the house. Use our Noos Advantage projections and optimal lineup tool to help you take down big prizes. Download in the App Store or play on nohouseadvantage.com. All right, you, you are on the DraftKings series Chasing the Goat with Alex Awesome Baker and Big T last year. Uh, the series ended, though, without really answering the question, so I'm going to pose it to you. Who is the greatest of all time? DFS player. Well, yeah, it's a loaded question. Um, well, I'm on <laughs> yes, the show. I'm going to go with Osimo. I think, uh, well, no, I'm going to say I, I can't pick between Yoda and Osimo. I think those are the two best players of all time. I think, you know, they're just the two best players of all time. Now, it's a different question as to who's the best player today, right? Yep. They're two different questions, right? So I think we may segue into that. But yeah, I think, you know, again, as I said, I mean, this was years ago. I was absolutely shocked at how good they are. And there were other players at the time that were doing very well. I remember seeing them all competitions, and they just simply don't play anymore. Yep. But Osimo and Yoda somehow have modified or adapted or are just that good that they were able to continue. So I think those two are probably, in my mind, the best two out there. All right. You, you teased my next question a little bit. Uh, is the greatest of all time also the current best DFS player in the world? <sighs> you know, they're, 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 uh, so I, I'll, I'll say that there are, are a few people that are rising. Uh, DFS Hofbrauhau, by the way, I think is, I mean, he's making a case for himself, yep, I would say. Um, uh, across all sports, you know, I mean, McLovin, you can, of course, make an argument for two. There's no question. I think, well, you might as well throw my name in the conversation. I think is okay. I don't know if I'm the GOAT, but... it's uh, fair. Yeah, at least I'm there. Garns is an excellent player. Uh, I can I can tell you who I think is are, is very good at like huge GPPs. Yeah, let's uh, hear that. JBC 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 is very good. Uh, I'm I'm amazed by how good the the performance is. Um, and then there's other guys that are good at certain things. Uh, Shrek is pretty good. I think at NBA showdowns, he's he's, he's up there almost all the time. Um, yeah, and then depending on the sport, right? Of course. Yeah. Uh, but I think that those are, those are the guys that pop out these days that are a little bit more classic and a little bit newer that I think are very good. I mean, you can take Ox and Duck, especially if you start talking about football. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can take, I mean, you know, there's just, there's, there are so many good players. If you start talking about basketball, you can't not talk about petty theft, 
have to talk about Papa Gates and Chipotle. Those, they are very good in the sports they play. But as far as like the best right now, I would say it's, it could be Yoda. Uh, it could be um, DFS Hopra. Okay. He's, he's very good. Um, and maybe you put my name in the running. I don't know. All right. I was wondering if you were going to, if you're going to be able to go there, if you're going to get yourself to say that you're in the running, cause you're obviously in the running. I mean, you gotta, you gotta consider your name in there, but I wasn't sure if you were going to shy away from, from doing it. I'm, I'm glad yeah. to hear you, you know, mention your own name in there. Cause you're obviously in that conversation. Uh, you. Did, did you, did you get a chance to spend any time with Eric Hoffman, DFS Hoffbrocking at the tournament of champions? I have a super nice guy. I actually, I wish I could have bit my tongue back in the day. So we were talking and I was like, dude, like, why aren't you in more competitions? And he saw me later at a different event and he was like, thank you. We were in Nashville. Okay. And you know, we were at, you know, out, 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 out on Broadway or whatever. And uh, this is after the championship. I came in fourth, by the way. Garns took it from me, but I was close. Uh, and uh, and and so he was like, you know what? Thank you so much for giving me that little tidbit. I play almost everything now, and it's becoming amazing for me. So I'm happy I helped him out. Unhappy because he's taken a little bit from me, but that's all right. I think I, I wish him luck. He's a great. He's a great player. Fun to play against him. Super nice guy. All great. Yeah, I, I enjoy Eric, and he's definitely he's really high volume. He's been crushing it this year. Uh, so that's been fun to see. All right, we got to get back to you. Mentioned that uh, Utakau, uh said that you are his nemesis. Uh, do you do you know Utakau? Like, do you, do you talk with Utakau some? Uh, we don't really talk uh, when we're at events. We definitely end up talking, obviously, right? okay. given where we are positioned in the field, right? Uh, no, we. I think we have an amicable relationship, but I think he. Uh, I think all my big wins, he's been in second or third place, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so that's why he, he, I think he threw out the nemesis part, but uh, I, 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 it's all, it's all in good fun, of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just, I've, I've never really, he, he doesn't seem like he's very uh, online. I, I don't know much about Utakau and I've never been to an event that he was at. So uh, it's fun, fun to hear that you actually have met him and know him a little bit in person. Uh, I also got to ask then though, if he said in good fun, of course, that you are his nemesis, uh, who do you consider your nemesis if there is anyone? Duh. Good question. Um, no, nobody. Uh, no one. No one immediately pops to mind. Uh, yeah, no, nobody immediately pops to mind. I think um, you know, we different sports. Different people edge me out sometimes. You know, I, I wouldn't say I'm the best at any sport, right? But I think okay. if you put the four sports together that I play pretty regularly, I'd say you know, different people beat me at certain sports, and that's fine. But yeah, no, no, no major nemesis, if you ask me. Okay, that's that's totally fair. I don't think I really have a nemesis either. I think uh, probably not that many of us do have a nemesis. Um, so I, I want to talk more about your process, but we got about a million listener questions, and I know you've got a hard out in about 40 minutes. So let's jump into the listener questions, and probably some of this, uh, a lot of these are related to process anyway, and then we can come back to other process questions uh, if, we, if we have enough time. Uh, first, Shady Advice asks, David, is it possible to ever put too much salt on a steak before grilling? Is this somebody you know? I don't know uh, where, where this question comes from. Are you, uh, are you friends with Shady Advice? Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the neural quantum processor. Because this is an audio ad. Unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung more wow than ever looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season test your skills on prize picks the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports just select two or more players pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats and place your entry it's as easy as that if you have the skills you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play Play 100 at prizepicks.com slash play 100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly who Shady Advice is. Uh, and so, Keith, I'll say we'll take it offline. 
<laughs> All right. You're not going to tell them how much salt is on a steak. You're really playing it close to the chest. If you're not even going to. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. No. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's safe to salt as much as you want. So we'll just put it at that. I know that you will eat anything. You, you said this on the, uh, yeah. on the chasing the goat series that you will eat anything. So apparently uh, a very salted steak uh, qualifies Correct. in that as well. All right. Uh, Justin Freeman asks, given how many sports you play, what are your primary inputs is it projections from third-party sites or are you originating values and his tldr for this question is does your process involve any sports specific knowledge yeah so the I, I think you know we had talked a little bit more about that uh before but yeah so i have my own projections for certain sports i've built projections for basically every sport but use some of the sites for my projections in some of the sports nba for example um so it's all part of the process uh, using those projections. Now, as far as sports specific stuff, there's, I mean, there are some sports that I am more than happy having one guy on just one of my lineups. There are other sports where I'm not happy with that. And that depends on the sport. The overall pipeline of decision-making is basically the same though. It goes, you know, I've got some collection of simulations, some calibration, to projections that are out there in my projections, and then an optimization routine that exploits all of that. But the, and the optimization routine is fairly similar from sport to sport, but then I interject different things in there based on the sport. Now, is it sport knowledge? I, I don't know. Uh, but of course, I mean, stacking constraints. Is that a sport knowledge? I don't know, right? It's not really a sport knowledge. It's a DFS sport knowledge, right? So right. I put that in. My own personal knowledge of sports, not as much, but as I become more of an avid player, I am, of course, learning more about all those sports. I mean, I was a sports fan growing up, but casual, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm learning more about the, the people, the, the things that impact performance on the field, right? And so that's becoming a little bit more of what I use, but I don't know if it's sports specific. It's like DFS sports specific is how I would answer that. So yes, it's a part of it. All of, I run different models for all the sports. They're somewhat of the same flavor, but they are different by sport. Okay. Uh, it makes sense. And, and Justin Freeman actually had a follow-up question. He asked, most, he said, most players optimize for max median fantasy points. What do you optimize for? Oh, no, I'm not going to say. Uh, right. I think that's, uh, yeah, so the, right. So <laughs> DFS is a multi-objective optimization problem at its core. I mean, you can look for expected value. You can look for maximizing the median. You can look for maximizing some quantile, whatever you want, okay? Uh, but it's the, it's the identification of what is a good objective function, which is really, I think, part of what the key is. Uh, and so, yeah, median is a total sensible way of doing it. Um, if you're using a big GPP, maybe you want to think about something more on an outlier base, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which I think people know this, at least intuitively. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I think that it's a, it depends on the competition is what I'm going to say. Okay. It doesn't surprise me that Justin is willing to ask a question that you're not willing to answer. Uh, Justin is the uh, owner of Run the Sims, and he, uh, he he's not afraid to get into the nitty gritty when it comes to simming things out. Um, all right. Uh, Den Den tweets. So so there's a, I think any, any of the top players in the world are sometimes accused of being either aliens or robots. So I don't know what he's uh, suggesting you are with this question, but he says, has Whistles ever hand-built a lineup on the shitter just to feel what it's like to be human? So, 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 you know, I've tried that, uh, but that was a while ago, maybe, <laughs> was on the shooter, but I tried it and it was not very good. Um, I am, you know, I think I'll be traveling a bit in a couple of days. And so I might tweet out that I'm going to play one lineup. Okay. All right. And then, then for you, I will tell you when that happens and let's <laughs> see if I can come up with a better lineup than you can, at least for a single entry competition. So you, you typically, though, you don't hand build at all. It's always using uh, your, your, you're always optimizing. Yeah, basically every single time. Uh, yeah, all, 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 all basically optimized and, and modeled out. Okay. Uh, Alex K 14 asks, how important do you think it is mathematically to max enter a contest given the prize pyramid of a GPP? Okay, so mathematically, there, you, you should have one lineup that you think is the most profitable, okay? If you don't care about variance and payout, if you had an infinite bankroll, 
I think you should just enter that lineup 150 times. Okay. But of course, like any investment strategy, right? You're not just going to invest in the highest rising crypto right now. That would be a little bit crazy because there's too much risk. So I think of multi-entering as uh, a way of mitigating risk. That's all I'll say. Okay. Uh, but, but what about like, so, so you're talking about uh, multi-entering in terms of like diversity of lineups, but would you ever, so in, in a contest where you have the ability to enter 150, a 150 max contest, would it, do you think it's incorrect to play 10 lineups in that contest? No, okay. Absolutely not. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you look at my showdowns in the NBA, sometimes I actually just enter 150 lineups, but only 50 unique ones. Okay. Which I've seen other players do that. I've seen that. Yeah. I think that's a bad mistake. And so that's just, that is just simply putting more eggs in a basket, which if those are the only baskets that you think are profitable, there's nothing wrong with it. You should never enter a lineup that in and of itself, you don't think is profitable. If you ever do that, it doesn't make any sense. So if you think there's only five of them, it's actually better just to duplicate them and put five of them, in, you know, uh, 15 times every or 10 times each or whatever you're going to do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but you should never enter a lineup that you don't think in and of itself is profitable. That's my, that's DFS 101. Uh, that's a theorem number one of DFS if you want. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think it's a mistake. Look at someone like Gamble Campbell. Okay. He came in first place in some really major events last year. He always enters exactly one lineup. There is nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, you know, and people go online, oh, you know, they, that's because these people enter 150. Doesn't matter. There's people with single entries that meet me all the time when I put in 150, right? Yeah. And so I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say that it is perfectly fine to enter one. It's perfectly fine to enter three. If those are the three ones that you think are profitable and you want to just go with them, I think there's no problem with that. And you can be quite successful, I think, too. Think about me, right? So if I enter 150 in a 3% field that I can own, okay, if I don't have a hit in the top four or five or six, very hard to walk away from that competition profitable. Really, yeah. really hard. Okay. And so, you know, it is, I mean, it absolutely makes sense to enter fewer. Should you think that's the best move analytically? There's nothing wrong with it. Okay. I like that. I like that answer. Net, just never enter a lineup that you think has no chance of winning. That's uh, that's good advice. Cause there are, that, that would be an NBA showdown. Like I always feel compelled to enter 150 lineups that, that's where it'd be most most relevant for me is because nba showdown i think there's there might not i mean there, there's probably always at least 150 but uh yeah i don't know maybe not because there there are so few players now there's there's always gonna be at least 150 anyway uh, i think that's uh that is good advice if you can't find more lineups that are going to be profitable don't enter them if you um, don't think that they're good enough don't do it or if you have the bankroll for it duplicate them or whatever you want to do you know i think that's a perfectly fine Nothing wrong with it mathematically. I mean, I've given even some talks in the academic world, okay? And they asked me the same question. And they're like, why not? I'm like, yeah, it makes total sense. If you think, yeah. But of course, I think in most sports, you can find 150 that could be expected profitable. So mm -hmm. it's fine, right? Uh, but anyway, yeah. So that's the short of it. Okay. Yeah, I like, I like that answer. Uh, Alex asked a follow-up question. What are your strategies for different contest sizes when your best projected athletes also project for the higher ownership? Yeah, I mean, I don't, you can't get away from that. I would say it's always, not always, but almost all the time, the highest projected ones are going to be owned a lot. Um, okay. How you calibrate that to the field is, well, you've got two choices, dive deep or avoid. And either one of those, depending on context and what is available elsewhere, are perfectly reasonable approaches. And depending on the size of the competition, right? If I'm doing just a heads up, I might not worry as much about it, depending on if I knew who I'm playing, right? Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, it's, it's more of a circumstantial question than it is something that I can just give an answer to. Okay. And then I, I have a follow-up question there, because you said that you do your own ownership projections uh do you do that do you do that for each contest specifically so like high uh, high stakes versus large field yeah so i mean it's mostly yeah it, it's it's certainly for large and small field uh okay but really it's just if i want to generate i can generate you know i, I have my own code right so i can generate ten thousand lineups so suppose i were to enter ten thousand lineups how would i ge just generate them okay and so that might give me a good distribution of what the ownership would be in a field of 10,000 people. Whereupon if I'm playing 25 people, 
I could generate 25 lineups, look at what they look like, and then say, okay, well, this might be what the ownership looks like. Okay, makes sense. Let me take a minute away from this conversation with David Bergman to remind you to give us a like and subscribe so you can keep up with all of our shows, DFS offers, giveaways, and much more. Once you subscribe, hit that notification button to get alerts when our shows go live. Be sure to also check out our monthly podcast giveaway. Just subscribe to our podcast channel and leave a five-star review with your Osmo username or Twitter handle to be entered to win a free month of Osmo Plus Platinum. All right, Andrew DeCourcy asks, do you review each slate after it's over, win or lose, and how do you do that? Used to. Don't have time anymore. Wish I did. Uh, how do you do that? I mean, you know, so one thing I'm long hoping to do is to look at Eric. We talked about Eric. Look at his hockey lineups. Uh, I just don't have time. Uh, he beats me very routinely in hockey. I want to know why he beats me routinely in hockey. I understand what his stacking rules are. How he's selecting them, I just don't know. But that's the beautiful thing, right? If you download your Dentry history, you can see what he's done day after day after day or whoever you want to analyze. Yep. Right? And so, yeah, I, I, I think that there is no limit to what you can analyze in this game. And I would say there's a million and one ways to cut up an old contest to see what worked well and what didn't work well. But another thing is that don't get so tied to just your performance on one slate, okay? That's, I mean... The outcome is like, I can have the best possible collection of entries and lose. Yep. I'm not mad about that. It's perfectly fine, right? It just didn't work out for this one roll of the dice, right? So, so analyze it, but analyze more than just one, right? You really need to understand what's happening. Okay. Uh, and actually, so, so you mentioned that you uh, have analyzed Eric Hoffman. Uh, Andrew DeCourcy asked a follow-up question. Also, were there certain players you analyzed more than others when you began carving out your path of DFS domination? Anybody else in addition to uh, Hofbrocken? Uh, awesome-o. Uh, I mean, in the beginning, right? So yeah. at the beginning, you're asking, yeah, I mean, y y Yoda and Awesome-o. I think they're the... I mean, if you want to know two really solid players and you want to see what they do and understand a way that you can play the game, I mean... Those two, I can't think of anyone better, right? Yep. And so, yeah, I mean, again, because what I did was I just looked. I was like, okay, here's 100 contests. <laughs> Yoda came in first in 10 of them. How? Like, that's crazy, right? Uh, but then, yeah, I mean, you can, and now, of course, he adapts, right? So that's something else. You know, again, it's a poker game, right? So we're adapting. Everyone's changing or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think you, 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 there are some principles that you can catch from the players that are routinely successful. Uh, don't read into any particular slate too much. Uh, and just try to see if you can understand what they're doing in a long run type of sense. Okay. Uh, CR Counts asks, how much do you do prep or research before starting into a new sport? A lot, ideally. Um, you know, I, I, I guess at this point I'm a bankroll where if I say, okay, I just want to try NASCAR, let's just see what happens, fine. I can do that. Uh, before, though, like when I started, I, I think the last sport that I really entered heavily was golf. Um, yeah, it, it took me time, right? I wanted to build a really good simulation model. I wanted to see where I could scrape data to see how these golfers are in particular courses and all this other stuff, right? So yeah, it's a lot. I don't want to, I mean, I wouldn't just, you know, there, there's been some sports I just played because I wanted to try tennis. I don't know, whatever. Uh, haven't done very well there because I haven't put in the time. So the answer is, yeah, sometimes I don't, but it's never successful. And when I do, I think it can be successful. Okay, so so the more research you can do, the better. But sometimes you'll jump in just because you have the bankroll to do it. Uh, not something you'd advise for most people that are just jump right in. Yeah, don't don't you know, you know, for better or for worse, I'm in a lot of competitions. Yeah, uh, so just think about that when you start to think about what you're going to do, right? I mean, there's you know, the, I'm not the only one, right? There's a lot of guys everywhere. So uh, just make sure you've you know do do some research, right? And I mean, look, like you don't have to win every time to play DFS. I give this anecdote all the time, okay? Some people live in New York City and they go out to dinner and they pay $200 for that dinner with no problem for two hours of entertainment. If you're a really big sports fan, what's the problem with taking a hundred bucks, putting it into DFS or drafting sports or whatever you want to do and enjoying the evening? There's nothing that, it is an entertainment game at the end of it. Yep. And you're putting money for it, but so are you when you buy a $100 bottle of wine. That's because you enjoy to do that. If you enjoy DFS and you're having fun watching Osimo crush it every night, that's perfectly <laughs> fine. And the one time you beat him, you're going to be so 
proud you have a screenshot or something. Okay. Uh, I think, um, yeah, you know, for example, one time, I think my, my, one of my more, I think my football millionaire win, not the, the world. Okay. Uh, there was another slate that Osimo, I think came in first and second and I came in third. So I think he posted, he was like, Oh, look what I did to whistles today. But then I'm not going to mention what happened in the other competition. So like, but that's all fun in games, right? So there's fun things you can do, even if you're not winning, treat it as entertainment, but do some research, right? You don't want to just throw away money, but if you do some research and you're having fun and you know, you're, you're within your own personal limits of what you can wager from a day-to-day basis, then you're enjoying seven hours of watching a sport competition. I fine. Right. I mean, have fun with us. It really is a good time. So anyway, that's my, that's my parallel, right? When people talk to me about, you know, just gambling and whether people should be doing it or whatever wagering. And I just say, yeah, why not? I mean, we have to know limits, but you also can't go to the most fancy restaurant every night if you're not making six-figure salary. You just can't do that. But that's you having to understand where your limits are. And I don't think there's any difference here. I think, uh, anyway, that's a long answer and maybe a little bit philosophical, but I like it. personal opinion on the matter. I like it. Uh, and it, it leads in kind of, uh, kind of well to our next question, which is how much success comes with experience? Oh, so, you know... Uh, everything is experience in life. Uh, I, you know, I do academic research, I teach, I do consulting, obviously I do DFS, starting to do some other things. And the more you do it naturally, the better you're going to get if you really care about it. If you don't care about it, you're never going to succeed anyway. But if you really care about it, experience is everything. So I think the more I play every single sport, the better I get at it, right? And, you know, uh, I had a conversation with some of the high rollers and they were like, you know, you're, you're relatively new. You don't even know what you're good at yet. And I think they're right. Uh, I've only done a couple seasons of high stakes, all the sports. Some of these other players have been playing for, you know, years and years and years, seasons upon seasons upon seasons. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's an experience thing that I'll, I'll you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting experience. There's no question there. I don't think anyone's going to doubt that. And I think it's only improving my game and yeah. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Kind of along those same lines, uh, Kickstart asks, what's some advice you heard when you were younger that stuck with you and possibly helped even with your success in DFS? Uh, find something you like. That's it. There's nothing else to say. If you like what you're doing, then you're just going to work like crazy at it and you're going to succeed. It's the simplest thing in the world. Uh, you know, and, and when I was growing up, people weren't, you know, I remember they were like, why don't you just go right into finance right now? It's like, I don't know. I'm not excited by that. And they were like, you're crazy. You're like a math, I don't want to say prodigy, but you're extremely uh, capable in math, I would say. So why aren't you going right into something like finance and just like kill? I was like, because I'm not that excited about it. All I did was study math and it took me to a PhD on some random circumstance. And uh, that was probably the best thing for me because this is what I liked, what I was passionate about. And yeah, just do what you like. If you're not doing what you like, you can't possibly succeed. I'll give one more anecdote, okay? I love, you know, this is my professor coming out. So- My cousin is one of the smartest people I know, went to Harvard, the, uh, I mean, he was a center on his high school football team, uh, I think a statewide karate champion, has a couple, no- uh, a couple novels out there, he's an ER doctor managing multiple ER rooms, anyway, okay, so I was thinking about what to do with myself at the end of college, okay, and, you know, I was being pushed towards finance or medicine or something, okay, so he was a doctor, he talked to me, he was like, so, uh, do you want to be a doctor? I was like, eh, I don't know. And he was like, don't do that. I was like, that's the most logical thing I've ever heard in my life. And it's so true. Like, just find something you like and you're going to be perfectly fine if you just, because I mean, when I play DFS day after day, I'm not like, oh, I got to go work today. I'm like, look, this is going to be a cool slate. Let's see how I can differentiate from Osimo today or whatever, right? I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. so I think, um, yeah, just, just that's the advice. Anyone who wants to know anything, just find something you like and just go do it. I like it. That that is good advice. Uh, all right, Rem Cote asks. I've says I've seen him dab in the NBA tiers contest this season. Uh, do you have an opinion, strategy, or insight that is specific to the tiers format? Uh, I don't yet because I haven't played it enough. Going back to the experience, I want to play it more because I think it's a fun and interesting thing. It's a different beast altogether with right. And also, I've been looking at the tiers in MLB. I haven't played it yet. But that's very interesting, right? Because now you've got, you've got to, you know, the stacking by team is maybe a little bit harder to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if 
my gut tells me uh, you, you've got to, you, there's probably more ownership issues you have to deal with there. Um, and, you know, take some calculated risks. I don't have a strategy that works yet because I haven't played enough. Uh, but uh, when, I, when I know more, I can follow up with you. All right. Sounds good. Well, we, we've got a little bit of, of time. So I added in a couple of my own questions before we uh, finish up. Um, I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, so Nerdy Tenor, another great DFS player, Nerdy Tenor, was on the, uh, the Theory of DFS podcast with Jordan Cooper. And he mentioned that he runs Sims. And I'm probably going to butcher what he actually said here, but I'm going to do my best. I believe he said he, he runs Sims uh, to backtest his own lineups uh and you know looking at uh past data and he said that uh and, and he's a very winning player he said that there were some sims where he had lost like seven hundred thousand dollars uh in the period uh that he had been a successful dfs player and some that he just lost an incredible amount of money do you run similar types of sims like with your own lineups back testing with, with the the available information like on DraftKings, you can see all of the lineups that everybody else plays uh do you also back test that way by running simulations on actual contest data to see you know how you would expect to do your range of outcomes on a given day or year yeah there's no doubt um and you know i can reproduce what my model would have produced had i made a different choice and i can see whether that's a more profitable strategy in the long run Again, used to do it a lot more than I do it now. I'm just too busy, but I wish I could do it more. But that's exactly what you can do. And I think, you know, amazingly, so when I first met Osimo, uh, this was in the, I think in Charlotte at the, at the Basketball World Championship uh, during 2021, I think. Maybe 2020, I guess 2020. Uh, no, 2021, 2021. And um, he, uh, like he said that, in earlier part of the football season, he was doing something like that, maybe. And he saw that my lineups were popping up. Uh, and so, yeah, you can even see, like, again, you only get one sport outcome on a night. Yep. Whether you did the right choice or not is a totally different question. And when you do these kind of simulation-based backtesting, you can really uncover whether what you did made sense or not in comparison to the field. And, uh, yeah, I think those are, those are important things to do. I would do it more often. If I had more time. Okay. Uh, and I'm just curious. So you, you talked about your Sims a little bit, and I know you don't want to give too much away about your Sims, uh, but I'm curious, do you have to input things like correlation, like say, you know, quarterback to wide receiver or stack your MLB lineups, or are those things that your Sims automatically, like, is there, is machine learning part of your process at all, where it will discover those kinds of correlations for you. So you don't have to do it yourself. Yes, it does. Uh, it does it's ma a, machine learning as part of the process part of the process uh correlations uh variance all that stuff is an outcome of the analysis okay so it's not an input of yours it's something that your your program is telling you this is okay correct yeah all right, that's that's advanced stuff. Obviously, I I do not have anything that's doing that for me. I have to put in all of those kinds of correlations myself. Uh, but I always find it it's such a cool concept, machine learning, something that I wish that I uh, had the skills to do to to be able to incorporate machine learning in my process. Maybe one day, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll start trying yeah, to learn this know, kind of stuff. Take your time, learn it. You, you've got no. I mean, why not? Uh, it may help you with something else later in life too. Uh, that's right. Computer programming, machine learning, optimization. Okay. Those three things will open up doors to you that are just unreal. I mean, yeah, you gain legs, right? You gain wings, whatever. I mean, you can fly, you can ride, you can do whatever. So I think, yeah, taking the time to learn those things for anybody watching this, I think is a valuable idea. Uh, so so no, none of the listeners asked me this, which is a surprise for you, but, but people have asked this in the past. Do you have any suggested, maybe because none of the answers have been uh anything other than just google it but do you have any uh suggestions for starting places in terms of trying to learn optimization machine learning etc yeah i can give a couple resources uh and uh well maybe one day i will provide those resources to the community um but yeah i mean there's this there's a couple websites out there that are particularly good data camp for example is a pretty good place to just get high level first round look at any programming language or particular technique um, of course, you can do some Coursera courses or whatever, but ultimately you want to do something. I don't know. Uh, get the historical performance of every golfer on every course last year. You want that information. Okay. How do you go get it? Well, I don't know. I think PGA Tours has, has that information. Okay. 
but now it's on all these pages. So how do I scrape that site? Let's look it up. So I think it's a, it has to be the question that drives what you do. And once you have that mentality, then you're going to learn what you need to learn. I like that. That's a, that's a great answer. Uh, all right. Well, well, we'll get back to our, we had one more listener question and then I wanted to close it out uh, to, by talking about your favorite win, but we'll start with the, the listener question. Besides winning millions at DFS and being a professor, what is next on the horizon for Whistles? Great question. Uh, so um, I've got some own personal things that I'm working on, uh, looking a little bit more in investing. I think chess is okay is probably right that you can make a lot of money elsewhere on investing in stuff. So I'm doing that. Uh, as far as the DFS community, you know, for about a year now, I've been thinking about what I can provide to the DFS community and what kind of exciting platform I might create. I don't want to say what I'm doing. I don't want to say when it's being released or anything like this, but the whistlesgowoo.com will eventually have something I think that'll be a lot of fun for a lot of people. We have the website up, it just is coming soon. Y'all can go check it out if you want. Uh, but keep your, keep your antennas up. Uh, I'm working on something and I'm hoping that I can be back on this show or some other awesome show to talk about a little bit more uh, once it's live. Very cool. I'm, I'm excited to see what that is. Uh, now that you've teased it a little bit and you know, I'm thinking about wanting to learn this stuff, I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what you've got in store for us. Um, all right. Uh, well, here's how I've been closing out the show. Tell me about your favorite DFS win or win celebration. Yeah, well, I mean, the easy answer is the, fan, you know, when I won the fantasy book, it's a, it's a shame it was during COVID, so I was just sitting at home, but um, yeah, I'll tell you, so I've had three millionaires, uh, Millie Makers, the, the Fantasy Football World Championship, okay, everyone probably has seen that, if you haven't, go check it out, it's, it's great, uh, one of my shining moments in life, then uh, there was another football win, and I'll tell you a little bit about that, I love this because it was the same weekend as the King of the Beach, competition i had won all five qualifier tickets that you could win within the first two weeks of the nfl season or something right so i had all those lined up i mean no one else had one or two i mean no one had two i don't anyway and then there was like this uh i think i don't know week 14 or 30 it doesn't matter what week there was a week where you had to do like a, a play-in okay so i had five tickets into that then you have to come in like the top 50 or 100 or whatever it was in order to actually get a ticket to go to the king of the beach competition I was so bad that NFL week that I didn't even get one of my five across the across the, the the board. That was the week before this competition. So I was a little bummed about that. Wasn't going to be able to go to Fort Lauderdale. Fine. But then I had time to dive into the slate the next weekend. That's when I won my millionaire, just in like a million maker in, in football. So that was a great win, obviously, because although I love going to the events, none of my big wins have been in an event. And maybe that's tied to the amount of fun that we have at the events. I am not sure. So that was a good one. And then the baseball one that I had last year was awesome because, you know, it was my now, okay, I'm not just a football player. Like people should look at what I do, yep. but I had won it and I came upstairs to tell my wife, I was pretty excited. Right. And she was like, uh, yeah, let's just talk about it in the morning. So that was a great moment because it showed just how successful to me I've become that like, sure. It's not every day. She was obviously very happy. Don't, don't, yeah. don't get me wrong. She was thrilled by the win. But the fact that she didn't jump out of bed and go nuts, yeah. you know, is an indication that I've made it in this particular field. So all three of those are amazing. I mean, of course, you know, all the other wins are great. I, I loved being live at the Fantasy Basketball World Championship this year because me and guards, I mean, it was the Knicks were playing. It was a seven-game slate. Knicks was the only team left. I was loaded with Knicks on my best lineup. I was in fourth place. Almost overtime, should have gone to overtime. I probably would have edged and won it. But that was just fun to be live and like actually in the action with other people. So there's so many memorable ones. I love the whole thing. I feel honored and blessed that I'm actually a part of this community and having fun and making money with things that I like to do. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess I give you like four or five stories, but hopefully that was good. That's That's great. And, and I mean, you, you were also live at the Tournament of Champions this year, which I remember because you and I swapped swapped action uh, in the fourth quarter of the of the last game uh, right. at the Tournament of Champions, because at that point we were both very live. And then like literally one minute later, Odell Beckham Jr. had a big catch that put him over a hundred receiving yards. And at that point, I know that I was done. Like it was just, I, had, I was blocked out and I think you might've been too. So uh, yeah. it was short lived, but we were at least live pretty late in that it was pretty fun yeah it's fun to be live with a lot of people that obviously like the game too right that was fun. i mean i really enjoyed being at the football world championship this year the, the most recent one uh oh bro and uh uh 
uh, Vasa were kind of like in the competition. That was super exciting. I was running back and forth, getting everybody yeah. drinks and stuff. So that was a lot of fun too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a blast. The whole thing is fun and I'm happy to be a part of it. All right. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Whistles, for coming on to High Stakes Episode 17. A lot of fun to have you on. Thanks to Mike Lawrence for producing, as always. Uh, and you'll be able to, thanks for watching, you'll be able to find Episode 18 of High Stakes next Friday at 3 Eastern on the Osmo YouTube channel or wherever podcasts live. See you later. All right. Cool. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.